0: In Ready Football Podcast, David Lawson, Stefan Housen is back after a little mini break, little vacation. What's going on, Stefan?
1: I love that for you. I hope you enjoyed your vacation. I was here working, slaving, not enjoying a vacation, but I'm glad that you had one.
0: Well, if it makes you any feel any better, traveling took a lot out of me. One of my flights was canceled. So I had a little bit of hectic schedule going on. But all in all, it was very good. It was good to finally travel after three years. Um, and things looking up.
1: I'm glad for you, man. It doesn't make me feel any better. But as I said, I'm happy that you got your little vacation. Let me still show you some photos
0: of the young ladies.
1: <laughs> oh, my another gosh. Another
0: spirit for another day.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my Let's Focus, anyway, on, the, focus um, on the football. Focus on the football.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, a lot of happened i felt like i I jumped into a hole and i came back out and so much has happened you know with the transfer window you know manchester united arsenal um of course we didn't speak about that um so better left unsaid because everyone has spoken about that game so i want to focus mostly on the transfer window um and for those that don't know catch everybody up starting with chelsea
1: man i you know there's a day after the window and, you know, the usual thing happens after the window. Who won the transfer window? Who made the best deals? Rate your club's um, transfers out of 10. All of that nonsense. I see that going on. I think it's fair to say if there's anyone who won the transfer window, it's Chelsea. Because, I mean, just going off of the fact that they pretty much bought an entire new side for the next eight years, <laughs> who else would have won? You know, they brought in a, a very, very interesting mix of players, Did a very did a lot of interesting deals. And it you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of um two thousand and three when Roman Abramovich first came to the to the English shores and he just started splashing cash. I see a lot of bitterness amongst opposition fans, you know, a lot of them saying that Chelsea are just spending haphazardly, there's no plan, they're just throwing money at, at anybody who moves, who looks um, vaguely good as a footballer. But no, you know, I think and I've said it since the Tuchel sacking, I've I'm pretty much on board with what Chelsea have done so far. I mean, the spending, the amount of money they've spent is absolutely absurd. It It's kind of crazy that that is even possible in today's market. Um, But in regards to just the the players, just going off the names, the profiles, the players they've brought in, I'm pretty much on board. I think they've done some good business.
0: Uh, you know, when it get into my analysis of the transfer window, later because I definitely want to focus mostly on Jorginho going to Arsenal. That's the one I really want to focus on. Okay. But which signing stood out to you from um that Chelsea has made, the the millions of them?
1: <laughs> well, it depends what you mean by stand out. Do you mean by st- stand out in regards to the money they spent or stand out in regards to that? I think it's a good player and a, and a good signing for the future because it, it, it could be anything. Um, but not to be facetious but just going off of it the one that I thought was very interesting right away was of course um, Mikhailo Modric that was the guy that Arsenal thought would they would bring in he was pretty much on social media every day hinting at the move happening hinting not even hinting he was hinting he was pretty much stating outright that he wanted to join Arsenal Arsenal did not complete that deal he ends up on the blue side of London I think he's a super exciting player uh, his little cameo against Liverpool, he looked he looked like he's ready to go, and uh, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty interesting signing for them moving forward. They've also just completed the British transfer record signing of Enzo Fernandez, and boy, it that one stands out for for different reasons because while I do think he's a good player, that is a player I just think you're destined to to make fail because hundred and six million dollars for. What is essentially a, a more defensively minded midfielder, it sounds absurd. I think those type of players are a dime in a dozen, but Chelsea are showing that money really is no is no determination of what they're doing in these windows.
0: That's a position I would never spend that much money for. Um, as you broke it down so eloquently. We we've spoken about Enzo before because that had been rumored for quite a while, that has yeah. been coming out, been in the works for quite a while, and finally officially officially happened i just feel like that position you can if you get a good player there he can just like left back and right back most of the times those players but the differences between them are so marginal
1: mm-hmm. unless
0: you're getting unless he's going to be all world all legendary where we're talking about him in 10 years as one of the best world 11 of this era type of football players. This is not a position that I would spend a lot of money on. But Chelsea has had some had some had some luck in that position. Whereas, you know, forward they haven't had the luck. You know, <laughs> Makalele first, they've signed they signed Jorginho. You know, I know I'm not the biggest Conte fan. Um, you know, defensive minded midfielders that have worked out for them. Get Matic S with- they've, they've had
1: a few of them, yeah.
0: Yeah. S of course, unfortunately, with the injuries wasn't able to fully live up to expectations. But I never blame a player for injuries. But he had his run and people admired him as well. So they've had they've had success in that position. Um yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised if they if they target that position and they feel that position is worth it. I'm not going to totally blast the move. But I just feel I just find it hilarious that that move is is being Seen as not an not an overrated move because if it was Declan Rice making that move, you mm-hmm. you, you would have seen so many stat comparisons because I said the same thing about Declan Rice. You know, you see his stats versus another guy's stats in a similar position, and they don't look different. And one would go for forty million, but yet Rice would go for hundred million, and people are like, "Why is he so expensive?" You know, and yeah, you know, you have. To don't thing, so it's not a position I would overspend for. But he's a classy football player. I can't say I've seen much of him. Um, it's likely going to take him some time to adapt because Chelsea has a lot to adapt to: new players, new system, new coaches. Um, they're in tenth place. There's a lot that needs to to improve. And yeah, the, the fact. He's not going into a good situation.
1: Yeah, the the final thing I'll say on Enzo Fernandez: the fact that he's a hundred and five million dollar player. Uh, the last central midfield player or player if of the midfield ilk to come to these shores was none other than Paul Pogba. And I think the $89 million price tag on Paul Pogba led to some fairly unrealistic expectations on him. You know, people wanted Pogba to be the guy who scores and assists every game, but they also wanted him to be dictating play. And on top of that, they wanted him to be defensively strong. I thought. The transfer fee essentially misrepresented the type of player Pogba was, and he was always put in a position where he was never going to live up to expectations of what people were placing on him. Um, Will similar happen to Enzo Fernandez? now that he's a $105 million player? Not too sure. But to me, you just said it. Is he going to be a player that in 10 years' time we're going to be thinking, oh, this guy is probably the greatest midfield player we've ever seen? No, I don't say that. I think he's a very good player for the type of position he plays and role that he fulfills but $105 million, I, I think he could have signed a good amount of players of the same ilk, and you wouldn't have noticed a difference. But maybe he'll, he'll prove us wrong.
0: If, if Chelsea win, the narrative will be what a class football player is, what a good sign. If he doesn't win, he doesn't have enough bite, he doesn't have enough pace, he doesn't have enough you know, cliché. He
1: doesn't, doesn't score goals, well, he doesn't well. assist. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff will come up for sure.
0: I was looking at, like, the top 10 most expensive players in the EPL. And outside of Virgil van Dyke, none of them you would have said lived up to expectations. Of course, mm-hmm. it's nice because Enzo hasn't played yet. But, you know, you look at Jack Grealish, you look at Paul Pogba, you look at Lukaku twice. Uh, those players have really never lived up to the expectations that people had of them. Even though I don't think Jack Grealish has been that bad. But when you have that sort of price tag on you, a lot is expected. Mm-hmm. Um so you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of it be it'll be interesting. What do you think about moving on to Arsenal? You know, and I want to focus mostly on Jorginho. Um It's an interesting one, and I saw some of your tweets, and you were focusing on what Jorginho in terms of coverage. Um, so of course, I decided to do some research. Yes, I did some homework. <laughs> <laughs> I did some homework, and I want to give you this player in terms of. Per game, Jorginho is 4.5 um, per game in terms of top speed, 30 kilometers per game, 30 mm-hmm. kilometers per hour. But this is what I wanted. To, per 90, in terms of distance covered, I'm going to give you a hint. So player A is Jorginho, 11.1 1 kilometers. That's how much he covers, right? Yeah. Player B, 10.4 kilometers. Who do you think player B is?
1: Uh just by the it's of work. Work. I and think it's, the field I think since we're going off of Arsenal, I wouldn't that player is uh, Thomas Partey. Well
0: done, Stefan. That's why <laughs> that's why do homework and you don't. Yeah, so it, it's absolutely incredible. If you told people that that going into they wouldn't believe you based on how they play, like because you people think that I was looking at the analysis and when people analyze things, they analyze things from the surface. Whereas, when, and when I see everyone talking about the surface, I need to go around the corner, I need to dig a hole.
1: Mm-hmm. And people
0: keep focusing on Jorginho's defensive side of the game, which which um people think have fallen. But actually, statistically, if you look at the different statistical websites, almost the same over yep. the last few years. That hasn't fallen. Coverage hasn't fallen. You know what has actually fallen, Stefan? It passes per game. He used yep. to make on average, 66 to 70 passes a game, now he's at 45 to 50. He's yep. dropped by to 20 passes, and that is the difference. Can he keep dominate the game? And that could be that he's spending too much time running off of the ball. Mm-hmm. That could be that he has legs, because he never had enough. He never had great dynamic pace to begin with. Yep. So he maybe has lost a bit to get into positions to control a game. So there's that as well. Or it could be that Chelsea never had the forward line for them to stretch the game the way they did previously. So, there's a lot of things going on. So, that's where I, that's definitely the most interesting um, signing. I personally think that um, Jorginho is a really good football player but was overrated because mm-hmm. of Chelsea's Champions League win and he was being thought of as the best midfielder and all that nonsense that was going on. Fantastic <laughs> European Championships as well, but, yeah. you know... Um, that was, was more form than actual ability,
1: and yeah. um yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. you've you've raised you've raised some interesting things right there. Starting off with the the, the stats, You know, there was there was a time where another Arsenal player, the the now hero of Arsenal, Eddie Dzeki, he was at um, Leeds United on loan, and he, he was he was having some struggles. He wasn't starting as much as he wanted, and uh, a lot of people were questioning Bale on why that happened. So Bale said to the journalists in the room. Um, who do you think runs more on the field, Bamford or Enketia? And obviously the journalist thought it was a was a fairly simple question. Bamford runs more on the field. And um Bielsa's reply was no. Enketia N- runs more on the field, but he does a lot of useless running. I, I think the situation with Jorginho, um Chelsea, yeah, he covers more ground than Thomas Partey. That, I, I've always thought the, the idea that Jorginho doesn't cover ground is fairly stupid because if you go through his history, Napoli, Italy, Chelsea, he's always been consistently one of the players who gets around the field the most. And I think that's just a function of his role. But I think for Chelsea, what happens is there are situations where his covering of the ground results in um parts of the... T- There's situations where he's covering too much space. He's covering too much ground. He's too isolated. And obviously, if that happens, players are going to um, get exposed. He's not the most physically challenging. He's not um, particularly quick. So one-on-one in those kind of situations in large spaces, he's going to be exposed. And you know who else that was happening to a lot? Thomas Partey at Arsenal. There was a period in time where the space was just too big. They were asking him to cover too much ground. They are asking him to go up and down the field. And he was abysmal at it. What did Arsenal do recently? They've now gone two inverted fullbacks. Their midfield structure is now a lot more secure, so there's more passing lanes for Thomas Partey to make simple passes, although he does have an aggressive pass as well. He likes to go forward. And essentially, Thomas Partey is now having probably his best run of form in the last couple of years, simply because the system now makes sense for him. I think Jorginho will will benefit from that. I think his passing, you'll see, start to go up back to what we previously saw in his earlier career because, as I said, the system now benefits that. He has players closer to him. you will have players in front of him. Midfield setup that actually plays to his strengths. So, yeah, I agree with you. It is the, it is an interesting move. And it's another, another reason it's interesting is because we all know he wasn't the first choice, but we know that Mikel Arteta is a big fan of him. Mikel Arteta is the one who kind of pressed Pep to bring him to Man City. Mikel Arteta wanted to bring him to Arsenal instead of Party. Jorginho's even confirmed that there's been two or three times Arteta has tried to get him to Arsenal already, and it's finally happening now. So he's excited about that. So, yeah, it's a very interesting move.
0: And lastly, I just want to point out the area in which Jorginho has fallen off and shout out to Thomas Party. You know, Party averages 4.1 line breaking passes per, um, per 90, whereas Jorginho is averaging 2.2. Mm-hmm. Um. And under pressure, party is averaging ninety percent past completion, whereas Jorginho is averaging seventy-five percent. Um, and then you look up, of course, it's a bit different. Georgina is pressed a bit more nine point three times mm-hmm. um compared to Thomas Party seven. So a little bit of difference there, but all in all, that is where that is where Jorginho is gonna to have to show his worth. It's not without the ball per um in terms of defensively, because he's he's smart enough, he understands where to run all the spaces, etc., and he has Thomas Partey likely beside him. Um, but the main thing about this is that it gives Arsenal another proper functional, good top six football player um, for this stretch run, which they're going to need. Um, because, yeah, exactly. Injured, you know, <laughs> and then, then this needs another player. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. a real big fan of this move.
1: Yeah, no. I- Funnily enough, like a lot of Arsenal fans obviously they, they saw the links to the to the Caicedos. Um they, they saw the links to the to the Declan Rice's. And while I do think Arsenal should go for Declan Rice in the summer, I think that, that's a guy that they should definitely try and um get on board. Caicedo is another player who I think is interesting, but he I put him similarly in the, the Enzo Fernandez um um category, another young player from South America who's looked really good over the last year but games-wise, he hasn't played that much in Europe. I am not sanctioning a $100 million transfer him transfer for him just because I think there are players out there that you could realistically get and bring in who will strengthen you. Do I think that Kaysedo would have helped Arsenal win the Premier League? I don't think he significantly increases their chances. I think Jorginho, as you said, is a player who is a top-six midfielder. Put him in the right system. We know his capabilities. He's experienced. I think he's one of a, he's a player that, can come in and actually make an immediate impact. And yes, I think it's a very smart move for them. I was kind of joking yesterday. Um not yes, I think it was the day before yesterday. So the day before deadline day, um, when it looked like her Fernandez was going to um Chelsea. I was like, oh, I wonder if Kante is available for Arsenal. It was a joke. I definitely don't think Arsenal should sign Kante. A couple minutes later it broke the Arsenal were trying to sign Jorginho. And I just had to laugh because I'm like, that's a smart move. That's a very smart pickup. He's not first choice, but really and truly where are you going to find a player that can come in and, and add to that midfield in a meaningful way for the stretch? If Arsenal want to win the Premier League, there's no way they could have finished the season with Lakanga and El Nene. So I don't see why Arsenal fans are complaining about the fact that they're bringing in Jorginho.
0: Yeah, and is is looks like a waste of time.
1: Oh, yeah, he's not, he's not very good.
0: He's just not. <laughs> he's just not with it. He's just not with it. Yep. He's <laughs> been there. He's just not winning. it. Um, but the biggest the biggest news of the transfer window um outside of actual Chelsea news, because Chelsea has been the biggest news they're spending, <laughs> is the player that you and I have really rated for quite a while now wanting to leave Manchester City, just came out of the blue. I, I saw it pop up on the feed, trending. I was like, what? And then all of a sudden I heard he's going to Bayern Munich. We're talking about Cancelo.
1: Definitely. I'm like, what? When yeah. did
0: that
1: happen? That... I, didn't even, I didn't even know who that was a thing. <laughs> it it really wasn't a thing apparently. Um, there there has been some rumors, some speculation that there's been a fallout between Cancelo and um and Pep Guardiola. There is even rumors that there was actually a physical altercation during a training session when he found out he wasn't starting the FA Cup game against Arsenal, and you you know. Um, or maybe you don't know, but Man City, when it comes to the fact that if players are unhappy, they're not standing in your way. João uh, Cancelo expressed that he wanted a, a move. He's not happy, and within a couple hours, he's at Bayern Munich. I think that's that's stunning. I think that puts Bayern Munich further up in my in my uh, estimation for potential Champions League winners.
0: I can't believe that Chelsea would do that. Like City, I'm City. sorry, <laughs> City would do that.
1: Yeah. Like
0: it's it's just uh, a Especially for a team that hasn't won the Champions League, mm-hmm. it just seems absolutely bizarre losing one of your best players um, and strengthening a rival to win the Champions League. This is just I, I I can't I can't fathom what what's going on there. But I I do understand like if me I'm if it's me I'm like yeah you can go no problem for the rest of the season you're playing at West Ham you're, at <laughs> you're going back to Portugal you're going to a team that can affect us maybe in the summer we deal with that but yeah that would that I I, no. I, can't, <laughs> I can't I can't understand, but if you're you're, of, you're too cynical that you're
1: too know. cynical you're too cynical I like when when big clubs just you know say player wants to go there let's go and man city have they have history of that i mean literally they've put they've put their main title challenges right now up a leg because they sold they sold them two players last summer so when it comes to Man City, their their view is always: if you want to leave, leave. Just come with a a good offer, and we'll accept it, and you can go. That that's pretty much been their their modus for the last couple of windows. Um, I'm not. I'm surprised that Cancella left, but I'm not surprised that they allowed him to leave. Is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I. Uh, that was extremely surprising. So yeah, we we have gone going through, and we we've seen some of the games. You know, Arsenal was able to get past Manchester United. They're the, getting close to that point, Stefan. We have to start calling them contenders. It's it's not, David. It's not. <laughs>
1: it's huh? they've only played still nineteen. Not? It's still not. They've only played mm-hmm. nineteen games. I told you, the year that Leicester won the Premier League. I didn't start thinking they were contenders until the twenty-fifth game. The twenty-fifth game of the season, they beat Man City at the Etihad, and um they went five points ahead. That they they established a lead five points ahead, and that was when I said, Wow, Leicester might actually win this Premier League. Um, I'm holding out. I'm not I'm not gonna be there yet. In three games, Arsenal play Man City at home. I think they have an, two away games before that. One again against Everton, I'm not sure, the other one, and then they play Man City at home. If at the end of the third game, 22, so that will be 22 games played, if at that point in time, Arsenal are eight points ahead of City with a game in hand, I'll maybe start thinking that they have a chance. Maybe. not. I'm not promising anything, though.
0: Well, they played mighty Everton this weekend, so... <laughs> Yep, we <laughs> get a couple of points there. Manchester City play Tottenham away. That's going to be a tough game. It's always a tough game for Manchester City. Um, so
1: oh, I've just actually let me, let me correct it. They have Everton away, and then they play Brentford at home, and then Man City at home. So two home games and an away game. If Arsenal end that with three with nine out of nine points, maybe, <laughs> maybe David, maybe. But I'm so reluctant to say it because I just I just don't believe it. But Another thing to... five
0: points up with a game in
1: hand. So, you yeah, this
0: is up. Moving on to news, Stefan, the other big news that came out this week is that it looks like the Super League is going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, what are your opinions on that?
1: I mean, I, I've always thought the Super League was going to be a thing. I, I don't want it to necessarily... I mean, I agree with fans who um, rioted against it in regards to it being a closed caption thing where it was, deter- it was determined who who would be in it from before. I didn't like that idea. I do believe in some um meritocracy and some promotion and blah blah blah. But in regards to the Super League itself, I I say bring it. I I don't see any reason um outside of players probably falling down from exhaustion of playing too many games. I don't see any reason not to play it. I for one have thought the Champions League has been boring for 5 plus years. I don't find it enjoy I don't find it very entertaining. So yeah, if the Super League comes in and it does something different and it adds to the entertainment value, I'm all for it. I'm not against it at all. It just has to be done in a way that is sensible.
0: me, I'm, I've said the same thing over and over again. The way how they want to do it, I was totally against, vehemently against it. Um, But going forward, I've always been for it. But I have said that they need to put forward some guardrails. And mm-hmm. some of those guardrails for me has to be, there has to be some form of salary cap system. Um, people in the EPL like talk about there's some form of trickle down economics. Actually, of the six hundred million I think Chelsea have spent, only thirty of that has gone to like smaller clubs or something like that. In yeah. the yes, in like the championship, etc. So it's not really anything big. So I need there needs to be some guardrails because football is lose has been losing me for quite a while in terms of competitiveness. And until there is that. I I don't believe the Super League will work very well.
1: Yeah, I mean I've, I've said it for a while now. I think if you watch football under you you with the view that oh I'm watching football because it's competitive, I think you're lying to yourself. I don't find uh-huh. football competitive at all, especially in regards to if it said what I mean is if you're say if you're watching football because you think whoever wins the Premier League is going to be doing it's a competitive league, I think you're lying to yourself. I've said it for a while. You can pretty much predict who's going to win the Premier League or the or La Liga or Serie or Bundesliga. You can pretty much predict it every year, and maybe you'll be wrong one or two times, but for the majority of the time, you're going to be right. So I don't I don't buy that anyone watches it comp- for competitive titles. That's that's nonsense. So I agree with you. I would love for something to happen to make football competitive. I don't know if that's the salary cap, because I also don't necessarily believe that you should um, limit the earning power of any potential person in this world if they can't earn the money they should be, they should be able to earn it but yeah I, I'm not against the Super League it just needs to be sensible
0: well I can't wait to see how they set this up and look forward to talking to you more all right um, but before it goes Stefan anything um, stood out to you
1: I mean it's been a pretty quiet um, quiet couple of days we been mostly focusing on the transfers. You know, we didn't we didn't get to speak about the Arsenal Manchester United game, which is fine. That went the way we I think we expected it to go. Arsenal played their first FA, their first of three against City and lost in the FA Cup. I don't think that really bodes in any way for the next couple of games against them. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting. And Gap still looks like garbage. That's and interesting. The- <laughs> it's I'd, when it comes to Liverpool, I don't know if it's a player thing or it's just Liverpool itself. Liverpool are definitely in um some dire constraints right now, both them and Chelsea. The difference is that Chelsea have the money to splash and they have splashed it. So they're benefiting off the shine of doing something in the window. But Liverpool, they've only brought in Gapco. The team looks frazzled. Players are falling left, right and centre. Yeah, Klopp is in an interesting, interesting time of his career right now.
0: Eventually, what's going to happen where they pick players and it just didn't fit like it, it did before?
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah. well, I mean, I think Liverpool, they seem to have this thing where they, they do really well and then they have this season where injuries just absolutely tear them apart. And I think that has happened again this season. Uh, the Darwin Nunes uh, signing, he's come in and he's... hes I don't even know. He's been hit or miss. <laughs> is, that, is that a generous way of describing it? He's been hit or miss. Um They've recently brought in Gapco, as he said, and he just doesn't look right at the moment. But I think they've, if things had gone the way Liverpool wanted them to go, Firmino wouldn't have been as injured this season. Uh, Diego Jota has been injured. Luis Diaz, all of those guys would have been settled and playing in a, a more cohesive system. Darwin Nunes probably would have been able to be integrated a bit slower. Same with Gapco. So they wouldn't have to have this pressure on them to succeed. But it is what it is. Liverpool just seem to always get these interest hit seasons that just where everything just goes wrong. I think they'll be fine next season.
0: Well, we're gonna see how, it, how it's gonna go. Um I, I I just I've been bored recently. As the transfer window kind of re- re- reignited me. But a lot of that had to do with you know why um, what <laughs> happened in December. Um, you, know, so, <laughs> you need to uh, get over that <laughs> so I've, been a little, I've been a little bit out of it but lastly I will say on that end on this note remember when I said going into that game the game that if you don't know what I'm talking about like you don't listen to this podcast I said I didn't like the way how England's mentality was the way they were talking before the game correct Yeah. only for Southgate to say a few days ago the same thing which I echoed he said England didn't believe the England players didn't believe that it could beat France. And I said I felt it in the build up, the way how England was talking about France. It was it wasn't what I wanted to hear. And yeah. Yeah. So kind of good confirmation that my body language expertise, because I honestly tell people this people don't believe. It. I feel like I have a fourth dimension when it comes to all English players, like analyzing them, <laughs> breaking them down and all of that stuff, how they can play and whatever. And know, always hope for the best. But yeah. So there's that. The anyway. Euros are coming. You'll win the Euros. <laughs> Not in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stefan. It's good catching up with you. Talk to you again next week. Peace.